developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my colleague and wonderful referral source, Craig Nippenberg. Craig and I have collaborated and worked together with students for many, many years. He's an amazing person, as you'll quickly see his power, passion, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about his extraordinary work in the area of creating social and emotional groups for kids. But first, let's let me share a little bit about the impressive Craig Nippenberg. Craig founded the Colorado's largest solely owned private mental health practice specializing in children and adolescent neurobehavioral disorders. He has earned the notoriety for creating the Connect Social Skills Group Program 40 years ago. This spans socialization groups targeted at helping children navigate the social, emotional, and behavioral ups and downs of childhood and adolescence. Connect has helped thousands of children grow and mature, and I'm happy to say I've had a number of kids go through his programs. He is the mental health consultant at St. Anne's Episcopal School in Denver and the author of a number of books, including Wired and Connected. Brain-Based Solutions to Ensure Your Child's Social and Emotional Success. It's based on 25 years of a detailed brain-based curriculum that he developed while working at St. Anne's. He's also the host of a popular parenting podcast, which I highly encourage you all to listen to, called Legit Parenting, Strategies for Actual Imperfect Parents for Building Resilient Children and Families. He's authored some other books. One's called I Was a Turtle, and that details his emotional experiences from growing up with dyslexia and how he discovered the joy of reading. And another book is Crying for Columbine, which details the experiences he's had as a mental health first responder at the Columbine tragedy in Colorado. He's received numerous awards for his volunteer work with nonprofits relating to mental health. You can read much more about Craig's uh, great history and what he's done, not only for Colorado, but all around the world. Uh, Visit our show notes and take a look at his website. Uh, One of the new websites he's launched is called AdventureDad.org. And this is great. He and his son have uh, this website and a blog dedicated, dedicated to helping dads connect with their kids through adventure, which I love that as well. So, Craig, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Thank you very much, Lynn. I'm happy to be here. 
Well, it's great to have you, and we have lots to talk about, so let's get started. You know, share share with our listeners, how did you arrive at working with kids? Well, it, and this is a great one story that ties in with your whole program about define, you, you get to define your vision. So when I was in college, my vision was to be a pediatrician. Uh, I always loved working with kids. I did that when I was younger in middle school and high school taught classes and stuff, and wanted to be a pediatrician. And third year of uh, college, I was uh, working at a pizzeria, and I was in the back grinding cheese. And I happened to be talking with the colleague next to us who was cutting green, next to me was cutting green, uh, green peppers up, and I got distracted, and my thumb went into the cheese grinder. <laughs> and in the process of them taking me to the emergency room and seeing the inside of my thumb, something dawned on me, which is I can't be a doctor because I hate blood and medical wow. stuff. It just creeps me out. I even to this day when little kids come up to me and they wiggle their teeth at me, it creeps me out. And I it was that moment I thought, you know, I, I could do all the academic stuff, I go to the classes, doing great but I don't think I can do it. And I was sitting uh, that second semester of that year, I went to school in Cambridge, England. And at spring break, I, or it was the end of the year, end of the term, went down to Switzerland, Grindelwald, Switzerland. And I'm sitting on a mountainside contemplating, what am I going to do with my future? I had no idea what I was going to do, given that my dream was gone. And I you know, I still want to do some with kids. And then I happened to have, I had, had taken a family therapy class uh, about a year, year or so before that. And I was thinking about, you know, maybe I could do that and work with kids. So I, when I got back to uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, where I went to undergraduate, I called that professor up, took him out for lunch, asked him about the field, how do I get in it? And I applied for graduate school and ended up here in Denver in 1981, and I've never gone back to St. Louis, where I grew up, I, other than to see my mom. But I ended up here, and I was at Boulder Mental Health Center as a student, and my supervisor ran social skills groups for kids. And at the end of the summer, he said to me, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. Why don't you just take it over? And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And I've been doing them ever since. So that, that's how I got there. What a great story. You know, I always wanted to be a pediatrician as well. And life throws us uh, wrinkles sometimes, which ends up being our opportunity to really, you know, pick up and look and see what may be out there if our first dream may not be exactly the way we had planned it, which is what a great story. Well, tell us more, Craig, about the Connect model and the magic of the social emotional yeah. development groups. It it really is about helping children. We have about 10 to 12 per group and different age groups. We have the, the little ones, a pre-K group, and then we have first to third graders and fourth to sixth graders and middle school, high school, young adult groups. Uh, about 13 kids, two or three therapists. And it's really an active group of participating. We play games, we go on field trips, we do sports. Then we're also having um, discussion times where, where children focus on their individual goals. And we'll do some teaching of social skills or social pragmatics. We'll, we'll do some lessons on how to handle your emotions or how to deal with your, you know, hyperactive behavior, whatever it is. Um, 
while we're playing. And the beauty of it, so the kids are kids are getting a lot of positive reinforcement from the therapist. But what the magic is, is when a kid does something for the first time in a new way, and the other kids give them positive reinforcement. And for a kid, hearing it from kids your age, getting positives from kids your own age, is way more important than from your parents or other adults. It's just magical. And, and to see a kid try something to work on their goal and have success and get congratulated or hugged or high-fived by one of their peers is just just awesome. It, could, it couldn't get any better. And the other part of the curriculum, it's not just like we're teaching a curriculum to kids and they sit there. It's very engaged, very active. Um, and often kids will do one year, they might do two years, or they might do our week summer camp. But to watch them mature and grow in that process, it's, it's just always exhilarating for me. Well, isn't that, that's really special because I know peer pressure and bullying is such a big deal. And to be in an experience where they're playing and surrounded by their peers and recognized positively has got to be a really new experience right. for many of these kids. So peer feedback sometimes is negative, right? Um, and and the, the teasing and this sort of thing. But peer feedback in a positive way is life transformed. Yeah, isn't That's that what, great? And they don't get much. So when you look at kids, say, with ADHD in the classroom, they get 10 times as many negative comments from the teacher per day as neurotypical kids. So when you think about what it would be like, you know, if you if you heard the teacher say, Lynn, are you focused? Lynn, sit still. Lynn, that's, you're on the wrong page. And you heard that 10 times a day. How are you going to feel after a while? Stop it. <laughs> it devastated. You're like, that's I, right. I, I, I can't take it anymore. And that for neuroexceptional kids, so with learning disabilities, ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, Tourette syndrome, they really, they, they have the neurological disorder, but then they develop this emotional struggle as well. So then you see anxiety about interacting with others, trying new things, or you see depression is about four times as high for kids with ADHD. And the, what I always talk about in my lectures is over time, the social and emotional impacts of being neuroexceptional is bigger than whatever the exceptionality was in the first place. Yeah, for our listeners, you want to define neuro, atypical, neuroexceptional, the types of kids that uh, would really benefit your kind of a program? Yes. So it's easiest in my book. I, I developed curriculum with Indians, and it's all brain-based on social, emotional, and behavioral development. And it's stuff I teach to kids. So any parent could read my book and completely understand the, the three major brain areas that are affected uh, for kids who are neuroexceptional. Um, so I call it the frontal lobe functioning. I call that the president. So, and in the book, there's activities to teach to your kids to do as a family, but easy to understand. And the president is where we have our impulse control, uh, at the lower part and the upper part is the attention, organization, time management, working memory. So most of your listeners probably are familiar with ADHD. And those are kids whose president falls in roughly like the 10th percentile or lower. Uh, when they get tested compared to kids their own age. So your neurotypical kids, the, the average boy is going to be in about the 55th percentile. Average girl is going to be about the 80th percentile for how well they use their president. 
your ADHD kid's going to be in that, you know, 10th, 15th percentile or lower. Then the second area is, I call it the factory, which is your emotional system or your limbic system. And how much emotion does your kid's limbic, limbic system pump out compared to other kids? So if you think of the Winnie the Pooh characters, Winnie the Pooh is neurotypical. He's just going along. Life, you know, something happens. Let's say he falls over a rock when he's on a walk. And he falls down. He gets up and he just says, oh, bother. But there might be honey in a tree. And he's happy again, right? And off he goes. He's just happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other kids are sort of like Piglet. They fall over the rock. They get all anxious. And they're worried they're going to get hurt. And they'll fall down again. And they won't even go on the walk. They have to go back home. And they have to recover from their anxiety. Uh, You've got some kids who are like rabbit. Uh, Rabbit is kind of grouchy. And rabbit falls over the rock. And he starts throwing the rocks and kicking the rocks and yelling at the rocks for the rest of the walk. And and some of your listeners, kids out there, might be quick to anger is an old phrase. Uh, And then there's some kids who are sort of like um, uh, Eeyore. And, you know, even the rocks don't want to be my friend. Nobody wants to be my friend. And, and they struggle with depression or melancholia. And so all humans have some form of a temperament. Uh, I would tell you myself, I was pretty much born Winnie the Pooh. Uh, <laughs> I do have some, some uh, rabbit in me in terms of, or no, piglet, I'm sorry, some piglet in me that I can get kind of obsessed about worries at times, mostly around business. Um, but that really came out. So you're either born this way, it can also happen with trauma. And I will tell you that with uh, being at Columbine, working with the students there as a first responder, it it really brought out more of the piglet and some Eeyore for me uh, and really changed my brain chemistry. Uh, And I suffered from secondary trauma through that experience. But I've always been pretty much Winnie the Pooh. And other kids, some some of your listeners are going to have kids who who are always anxious about things. Uh, they, had, they have lots of worries. And one little second grade girl say to me, I have lots of worries. The <laughs> <laughs> heart just breaks listening to that, yes. Yeah, no, and some to anger. So, and that area of the brain is right around your brain some. That's your limbic system. And the, the key component there is your amygdala, uh, which triggers anxiety or uh, anger in the brain. Um, and so then I describe that in the book, and I work with kids on understanding that component and how you can learn to control those emotions better. Um, you know, with breathing, with visualization. I love listening to your granddaughter talk about how she visualizes. I'm a, a big believer in visualization, practice it myself uh, when I'm doing my breath work. But we're learning strategies on how to manage those emotions in a more effective way. The favorite one for all the kids is when I talk to them about the cold water trick, which is if you're really upset, worried, or angry, just go stick your head in a, a, a sink or a bucket full of ice water, and you, you'll, it'll shut it off immediately. <laughs> or go throw <laughs> some love... water on the sides of your temples in the bathroom. And I've had well, kids come out of the bathroom, <laughs> the boys' room, and they, their head, heads are soaking wet. And they're like, that was awesome, Mr. Nipomurga. It worked great. <laughs> I, I could imagine. That's great. I'm going to try that yeah, one. That's, that's so fun. It, it works. It, 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 it's, it has to do with your vasoconstriction response. And when you have thermostats, basically, that run out of your temples across your cheeks, and when the brain senses that you're, it's cold and it's wet, it thinks you're going to freeze to death, like you've just fallen in a frozen lake. 
and it immediately shuts off the blood flow to your extremity. Extremities takes it back to your core and lowers your heart rate and breathing because it wants to save you. Um, and it's the reason why the longest underwater breath hold with one breath is 22 minutes. And the guy that did it, Wim Hof, uh, it was under a frozen lake, jumped into a hole, swam across the lake, out the other hole, and was underwater for 22 minutes. Because the body at that temperature is saving every bit of oxygen it can. And that shuts it all down from when you're angry or worried, the blood flows to your extremities, right? Wow. And then you're breathing fast, your heart, heart rate's beating, you got cortisol all over your body. So the cold water trick is a favorite. <laughs> That's great. For, first, I'd have to get over the anxiety of thinking about it and then let the body take its, <laughs> you know, take its toll. Well, then just start out with cupping your hands with cold kitchen water, bathroom water, and throw it on your temple. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> right. And then um, the third area of the brain that really affects social emotional development um, is the mirror, what I call the mirror, and it's your nonverbal processing system, which is how well, so we, we understand each other through language, right? We, we hear somebody's words, but you also have to look at, well, what are their facial expressions when they're saying those words? What's their tone of voice? What what are our proxemics? How close are we to each other? What are their hand gestures? Uh, is this person a past friend or is this person been mean to me in the past? Uh, where do I fit in with the other kids at school on sort of the social pyramid? And who are the cool kids? And who kind of runs things? And who doesn't ever get a chance to talk? That's the nonverbal system that's picking up all those other factors when you're socializing with others. I like to think of it as a stained glass window. And when, so if you were like a child, if you were a middle schooler going into a classroom and it's open seating and you have to pick your seat as soon as you walk in the door, you have a, a split second to decide what seat would be the best. Now, for some kids, they only see one piece of glass, which is an open seat. And they go sit down, but it happens to be right next to the most popular kid in the class. Or it's right next to the school bully who picks on kids who sit by him. Or they're really tall and they sit down in front and block everybody's view. They just look for one piece of glass. Now, more social people pause for a second as they're coming in the room. And they analyze, well, did I do my homework or not? Uh, I want to goof around today. I think I'll sit in the back. Or I need to brown nose the teacher, so I'll sit in front. I want to look for a friend. Where's my friend? Oh, I see that one girl, and she's got an open seat, but she always saves that for her best friend, so I don't want to interfere with that. Or maybe you have romantic interest, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got all these things that you've got to think about in order to get the right seat. And social butterflies, have they see lots of class. They see a whole stained glass window of nonverbal components to their social interactions. So neurotypical people, for neurotypicals, females are about the 76th to 80th percentile in terms of how well they process nonverbal. Uh, for us guys, we're around the 55th percentile. So we, we don't take in quite as many pieces of glass, uh, and we're a bit slower at it because it's powered by estrogen. So women are able to, to socialize and, and pick up on all sorts of things at lightning fast speed compared to guys. Um, now, for people in the, in, with a nonverbal learning disability, they're going to fall around 20th percentile or so, 15th percentile. 
And for ASD, for autism spectrum disorder, those would be the kids in 10 to 15th percentile or lower. And so that's the hallmark of autism is not being able to understand nonverbal communication. They just understand the words, but not all the other implications. So are often very socially awkward and struggle with socializing with others. Uh, with learning disabilities, so like with dyslexia, that's in the middle part of the brain, and it's mostly related to the phonics system, uh, the phonics area where our brain associates sound and symbols. Um, so that's kids there, and, and that's me. I, I was in the turtle reading group in first grade. Um, so <laughs> that impacted me emotionally because nobody wants to be the turtle, Right. And it was me and two other kids, and I can remember all through elementary school. What, you, you might remember these when they had the SRA readers, and it yes, was like these sure. thick magazines, sort of, and they were in a rack, and it was like one through twenty-five. And the teacher would say, "Okay, kids, get your SRA reader," and I'm like grabbing number two, and there was always that kid that said, "Oh, I'm on number twenty-one already," and right. I just feel defeated instantly. So the fast readers, and they're not maybe not trying to brag, they're just celebrating their reading, but for the kid with dyslexia, it really takes an emotional toll on you. Right. So you know, Craig, so if, we, uh, if yeah. I didn't interrupt you, we're going to take a break in just a couple minutes. Uh, I think it is sure. so important that you have broken this down to the brain neurology, almost down to a cellular level, because a lot of people will look at these kiddos and just... Um, try to understand them through their behavior, their acting out, their avoidance. Right. You know, yeah. a, a child with autism who doesn't get the joke and doesn't see, you yeah. know, those social emotional cues. And I remember when, you know, in 2009, when I was writing my book, See It, Say It, Do It, in my research, I ran across Dr. Judith Willis, who's a MD turned uh, middle school teacher. And she wrote this wow. book, How Your Child Learns Best. And it's all about explaining from a neurologic standpoint what's going on with this kiddo and why they're struggling. And if they're deep in emotion and anxiety, they're not in a place to find answers for math facts and spelling and all the right. things you're asking them to do, why they're very, very deep in this, this emotional state. And so I think as your help in, in, in not only for the kiddos, but the parents, when you get that new perspective of seeing that child from a new perspective of, well, your brain is playing some tricks on you, that already can change a response from a teacher or a parent. I, I think it's just, you know, such an important uh, message you have here. So we are going to be uh, taking a break here in just a minute. And when we come back, we're going to talk a, a lot about your your podcast, the kinds of people and topics that you uh, share, as well as your books. And so we'll just take a few minutes and be right back with you. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. child see really see more than 2020 does your child struggle in school 
have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 tips to improve your sports performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everybody. We're back with Craig Nippenberg. We've had just a very interesting discussion about kids' social and emotional behaviors. And, and instead of just looking at that kiddo and being angry because they're messing around, they're not paying attention, they're not, not responding correctly, correctly, it's so important if you understand some of the brain neurology. You don't have to be a neurologist, but to understand how sometimes our brains play tricks on us, just like I tell my patients when I see kiddos that don't track right or they have double vision, that their brains, not so much their eyes, their brains that control their vision are playing, quote, tricks on them. And our goal is to really help teach that person how to better coordinate their eyes or improve eye-hand body coordination. And Craig is doing that from his perspective that relates to social-emotional behaviors. So let's uh, get into your podcast, Craig, called Legit Parenting. Tell us what it's about and some of the types of people you've been interviewing. Right. Yeah, thank you, Lynn, for bringing that up. So I started out with COVID with a Facebook Live program for about a year and did a twice-a-week show just to support parents through COVID. Well, COVID obviously lasted a lot longer, and then I switched it over to a podcast format, and it's called Legit Parenting, L-E-G-I-T. 
and its strategies for building resilient families. And it was based on, originally the first season was based on sort of 10 tips that I wrote up for a lecture for a group in Singapore, and then um, started weaving that, doing lectures locally on that with Zoom during COVID, uh, on how to build resilient families. And then we just started season two, uh, and the first half that I just finished up was on how social media impacts the social, emotional, behavioral development of teens. And now, that Craig, one was. Are those yes. tips available on your website? How to. Yeah, so well, you family? can just. You can go to Legit Parenting on Apple. What, what are the other ones? We're on all the different things Spotify. where you can download the, the app. Yeah, the Spotify Apple. we're on and Apple. And you just type in legit parenting and my name and it'll pull it up. Okay. And so those episodes are there. And I would encourage if you've got even an older elementary student, a middle school student, high school student is to check it out because it is just disturbing what some of these apps like TikTok do. it, it, It was, Lynn, I mean, I've done this for four years, right? And there's not many things that I run across anymore that like really rattle me or go, whoa, that's really bizarre. There's some stuff on there when you're looking at eating disorders, cutting, that you're just like, whoa, this is so twisted. So I'm a big believer. I have a 17-year-old, almost 17-year-old daughter, and my wife and I, in sixth grade, we were going to get her a smartphone like all the other children. And after all the stuff we see, we decided, we said, nope, and we joined the Wait Till Eighth group, which is you pledge not to give your smartphone to your kids until they're in eighth or ninth grade. Wow. But even then. It's really, really twisted. So that was the the first half. And now we're working on parental self-care, how to take care of yourself as a parent. I had one of my therapists on last week talking about breath work and visualization and just taking little tiny steps to take care of yourself as a parent. Uh, I've got a parent advocate that I'm interviewing today from Guiding Guiding Bright Minds, which is a it's an online platform for parents of exceptional kids. Um, you know, I've had psychologists on. I want to get you on, Lynn, uh, because I do want to get more, learn more about visualization as it relates to our autism spectrum disorder kids. Sure. Um, but it's just a hoot. It's very conversational. And the main underlying thing I end every show with, I end every show with two things. One is called Things of Beauty Make Me Cry. And it's just emotional things, mostly related to kids or parents that I've observed over the years. And I share those stories. And then I end with the same phrase every time. Hey, parents, relax. You just have to be this side of good enough. And it really is to be a legit parent. You don't have to be tiger mom. And and there's no (laughs) research that says you could do all these things and change the outcome of your kid. You, You can't. Your kid is your kid. The only one thing they found that parents can do or demonstrate that will rub off on your child and, and change their trajectory is kindness. So if your parents are kind people and they're kind to the neighbors, they're kind to the postal worker, they're kind to the grocery store worker, they're kind to everyone around them, your kids will be more kind. But that's about it. <laughs> so being I, a super parent... That is so ahead, important, Liz. and it's so, you know, the mentoring and the kids are watching us, and when we expect them to behave right. in such a way and be kind to their friends, and then we, we go to the store, and especially now being 
so many sores and things being understaffed and you can lose your temper quickly. They're watching every step of that. And Oh, they do. Uh, oh, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Little pitchers have big ears, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Well, it, it, so you, uh, it's the, the idea is it's, it's to help parents get over the parental shame and guilt. And and a lot of this, um, you know, calling other parents out on social media and canceling parents because they were doing the wrong thing, and I'm like, that is just nuts. And and yeah. consistency. There's research that parental consistency is important. But what I say is, hey, if you're consistent 75 to 80 percent of the time, you're doing great. During COVID, if you're consistent 65 percent of the time, you're really doing great. If you have a preschooler or a high schooler, you just need 51%. That's it. <laughs> if you can be consistent 51%, you're doing great. That's we just living by chance, 50%, you know? Yeah, that, it's just good enough. Uh, so that's that's the main thrust of it. Yeah. Can you give some tips for parents dealing, especially with middle school and, and teenagers, uh, who have given their kids phones and they're on TikTok and Instagram and a lot of social yeah. media? And seeing this awful stuff, and uh, it's yeah. frightening. And I, I know I've just watched my own kids and grandkids, especially during COVID, when they were in homeschool. Oh my gosh! They were on screens. Yeah. You know, I could talk from the visual perspective. I can't even imagine from oh, the yeah, social. Yeah, think about that. Yeah. So, oh. what are parents to do about that? Well, there's. You can take different approaches. There are some parents that want to just shut it off, take the phone, or wait longer. Like, I like the Wait Till Eighth group. It's a, out of Austin, Texas. You can sign a pledge and get information, tips from them. If So there are some parents who go that direction. The other direction to go is to embrace it and try to make it a positive thing and inform your kids about what's out there. There's a wonderful, and I interviewed, um, I believe her name was Tiff, Tierney with the Social Institute. And she's a former college athlete who started the Social Institute. It's being used by sports groups, schools, all around the country. And it's a positive approach. They, they have these video series where they teach kids about healthy use of social media and things to avoid or how to, how to figure out what stuff is fake, what's fake news, right? Um, and so they take a more progressive, let's embrace it. It's not going away. Um, and try to teach kids or inform kids about what's out there. So you definitely need to be talking to your kids about, you know, even in middle school. So I, I, I do lectures for middle school and high schoolers. Uh, a couple of times I've done middle school where parents and students were required to attend. And they said to me, tell them everything as blunt as possible. <laughs> So we started off with sexting and how if you go send the nude pictures of yourself to others, you can be charged with child pornography. And there wow. are kids that have been charged with that. And and we get into sextortion, which is people pretending to be a kid in order to get your parents' credit card. When they get your nude photo, they tell you they want your parents' credit card. All sorts of really intense stuff. And, and you parents need to know what's on there. I actually got a TikTok account. My daughter taught me how to do it. Um, and I started looking at it. I thought it was just the most silly, stupidest stuff I've ever seen. But then as I researched specific things, it's just vile, absolutely vile. But, but parents should get on there, get an Instagram account, you know, check out Twitter, whatever. 
get on TikTok and and just then then you want to understand. And kids need to know how it works. So what I explain to the kids is the algorithms work like this. And let's say you stopped and, and they'll throw you put in your age or whatever in your gender. So if you're a, a teen guy, what do you think is the first image they're going to throw at you? A video of a girl in a bikini, right? Right. Right. Now, if you pause and look at it. The, for the whole thing, and you don't scroll past it, the next time you go on, guess what you get? Like six or seven teen girls in bikinis. And if you watch all of those, and then it takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. So now we're in the p- pornography. So it, it's all about how it, teaching kids how it works, parents understanding how algorithms work. And then discussing, like, have a, you can have a social media contract with their kids. What are the things that we're going to allow? What what do we want you not to have on your phone? It's okay yeah. for parents to check your kid's phone. If, if, sure. you, if you're concerned, get it and check it. Your, your kid has to tell you all their passwords. Uh, if they don't, then the phone is gone for a while. Yeah, I think the key that you've mentioned is having that communication, the really open, honest, know yeah. what you're talking about, be there. Because we're not going to stop them from being on it. I mean, you can hold the phone. They'll find other ways. But oh, they use their friends' phones. Like, right. And they've, they've, they've hacked the passwords. And they're masters at it. But you also yes. have to know your own kid. So if you've got a kid who's Winnie the Pooh emotionally, has good impulse control, has a great president, and really is quite social and wants to be empathetic with others, that's a kid you can trust. I, I had a teen on. Uh, Mary, who started a, a site called a little, a little Love and Hugs, and it's pro-mental health. It's how to make yourself feel good as a teenager. It's just delightful. That's the kind of kids you can trust. Right. If your kid's got anger issues, if they don't have good impulse control, or they don't really understand how some things might be fake out there, or this is a joke or teasing, then you really need to monitor it more. So you have to know your individual kid, too. Yeah. And again, especially with the pandemic and, and parents themselves just struggling to to work and make ends meet, it's it's just been overwhelming. So let's yeah. switch gears here for just a minute, Craig, and tell us yeah. how you changed your vision for mental health consumers. You had a big shift there. Yes, I did. It was in graduate school, and I was studying to be a family therapist. And part of, I have two master's degrees. The second was a master of divinity, and as part of that degree, we had to go somewhere and work for three months in the summer. And I found this place in Roanoke, Virginia, that had this cutting-edge family therapist as the supervisor. So I drove my little VW bug out there, expecting to be doing hotshot family therapy, right? Well, it's awfully hot there and humid, (laughs) very conservative. And the supervisor said to me, well, I'm going to have you work in a boarding home, which I didn't even know what that was. And he said, I think you need to get in touch with your inner loneliness. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Right. And so I show up the first day and a boarding home, it was full of people in the old days, you'd say who had chronic mental illness. So these are people with schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar, serious depression, who have lifelong and are disabled. And I go in there, and it's just this kind of institutional brick building, small bedrooms, with three beds in a bedroom, 
and all these people just sitting around watching game shows and smoking cigarettes all day long. And the first couple of weeks, I was so depressed. And I got to do some of the family therapy in the evenings. But I was like, like just deeply depressed and, and just so just miserable that this is what I'm doing. But also, the, 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 I mean, these people just felt so dead inside. And so one day, I finally switched my vision. And I thought, what if we played bingo? And I went to the five and dime. Now they have the dollar store. It's the five and dime. And I bought little prizes for everybody. And I started running a bingo club. When I, every day we'd play. And then I thought, let's grow a garden. And I got some of them to come outside. And we planted okra and, and corn and green, turned up greens, onions. And we grew a garden. And what I discovered in the process, these people still had lives. They, they still had life inside of them. And they still had something to offer. But they didn't have any outlets to, to share anything they had. And, and to be smiled, for them to be smiled at and to be treated like an, a human being was novel for them. So when I came back to Denver, there was a story in the Rocky Mountain News about the chronic mentally ill in Denver and how isolated they are. And now the term is mental health consumers. Um, okay. And so I started a program through my church to, we have a monthly get together. This is our 38th anniversary. And we, we play bingo. This month's our carnival. And we do games and we have prizes for everybody and a home cooked meal. And it's been going on for 38 years. And it is the greatest blessing in my life. And I remember my daughter comes to call Bingo. And my son started when he was three months old. And I said, you know, to my son once, I said, I've, I've known a lot of really famous people, wealthy people, influential people here in Denver and around the state. But when I die, the people that I want to come to my funeral are these people. Oh. Because then you'll know I've been successful in my life. If they that come. story, that story just touches my heart, uh, Craig. And, and and not only with mental health, I would say the same things happening um, with our aging generation that there are either nursing homes, long term facilities yes. that people forget their that they're people. And um, I'm yeah. a musician, and when I go in and I've seen, especially when we bring music in and play music from the, the time when they were young and dancing, they perk up, they know the words, some get up and dance, uh -huh. and, it's, yep. and it's just moving to see that happen. That is, is that is awesome. Uh, Craig, I want to make sure you have time to share your website, and um, you have a great... Uh, Special for our listeners on your book. Go ahead and share your personal yes. information here. So, yeah, the the website is my name. It's Craig C R A I G, and then Nippenberg K N I P P E N B as in boy E R G dot com. So, if the listeners go to CraigNippenberg dot com forward slash Wired and Connected. They can get to the book discount. We have a $6 off on the book for your listeners, and that, that's where they can order the book. Uh, or you just do craignippenberg.com, and you can learn more about our practice and our groups, and we do psych testing and all these different things. The other way you can get to my site that's easier to remember is welistentokids.com. Welistentokids.com. That'll take you there. And you can find the book order there. And then for the uh, podcasting, and just look up legit parenting, 
Um, and it, it, the other part, you don't need to know the hotel. Just do my name and legit parenting, but it's legit parenting strategies for actual imperfect parents. I'm not a perfect parent. I've never met a perfect parent. I've met some really good parents and loving parents, but none of us are perfect and you don't have to be. Which is great. And we have this information on our show notes too, um, which is great. In our last couple minutes, uh, Craig, you know, a lot of parents that I see are really wanting to get this type of support and help for their kids, but between, you know, insurance and just trying right. to find uh, a practitioner, what are some tips or questions that parent, you know, I'm blessed to have you in my community so we can send people your right. way, but, yeah. but right. what what can people do when they don't know who's in the compu- community and how to find Group, especially groups. There's a lot of individual. Oh, yeah, it's which hard I think to find important. the 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 group products. Pretty unique. It, it's hard to find that. Sometimes it's in schools. So if you have a child who's struggling, maybe they have an individual education plan or a 504 plan. I would first start with your local your school to see what kind of offerings do they have for individual support, or maybe they they're offering social skills groups. And I've trained thousands of teachers and social workers and school psychologists on how to run groups. So you can start there. You can also, if you have insurance, go to your insurance company. Usually you put your zip code in and they'll send you all the different kinds of providers, but you could, you know, you could get psych testing. You could look up social workers, maybe who do groups and see if there's group therapy or individual therapy. Now, my guest uh, later in this morning is it's a site called guidingbrightminds.org. I think it's .org, guidingbrightminds.org. And they are starting here in Colorado, but now they're expanding to other states around the country. And it's like a, a clearinghouse for exceptional parents to go uh, hear free, free talks. I've done two talks for them you know, online. They have referral lists. And, and providers, you pay a fee, providers pay a fee to be on their list, and then you get to be part, and you offer lectures, and you get to be part of the community, and that's how they fund it. So parents don't pay a dime. It doesn't cost parents a dime. And then you get, you can find out about support groups, all sorts of stuff. And they are trying to spread across the country. So you can always check them out, especially here in Colorado, if you're in the Denver metro area, check that out. And then the other thing is talk to other parents. I more and you probably find this too, Lynn, with your business. So much of it comes from happy parents, that and when so they're true. happy with the services their child receives at my office or your office, they tell other parents. That's right. And there well, you Craig, go. Craig, thank you so much for all your words of wisdom and and your resources. And it's always an honor to be with you. And I encourage our listeners to uh, check you out at your website, get your book. And thanks to everybody for joining us today. And remember, your vision doesn't define you. You define your vision. And expand your vision, see with clarity, gain courage and confidence. Craig, thanks so much. Great to talk to you today and hope to see you soon. Thank you, Lynn. Loved it. Thanks.
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.